0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Return to the Realm, a uh, a rereader's podcast for the Realm of the Elder- Elderling series by Robin Hobb. And I'm never going to be able to pronounce Elderlings like <laughs> ever. Um, so I'm Caillou, um, joined by Leah, and oh my god, I'm forgetting your name. Alex. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alex. Okay. Cool. I just remember you by the username, and I'm just like. Oh, oh I know, God. I was looking at it, and I'm
1: like, I should probably put my
0: name in it. <laughs> I definitely will fix that. Mm. But yeah, for this first non non-first episode, other than our introduction episode, we're going to be covering chapters 1 through 5 of the first book in the series, Assassin's Apprentice. So, Leah, do you want to summarize quickly the broad strokes of what happens in this section?
2: Yeah, so in the intro to the book, we meet our main character, Fitz. We don't fully know what his name is yet. Everyone calls him Boy, or Fitz, or The Fitz, or The Bastard. Um, he is the bastard son of Chivalry Far- here, Farseer, who was king-in-waiting. Um, we see him meet his uncles, Verity and Regal, right off the bat, and then he's kind of just handed off to his um, absent father's right-hand man, Birch who takes him under his wing and into his stable and then leaves him there to do as he will. Um, so in these first few chapters, we see Fitz kind of adjust to life in Buckkeep, in Buckkeep town and run around with his friends and um, kind of adjust to this new life And until he is discovered by his grandfather, the king, who then gives him a pin and um, kind of claims him and then Fitz has to move from the stables into the castle or the keep and from there he starts having like lessons to learn how to fight and how to read and um he also starts his evening or dark time encounters with Shade um who we don't fully know who Shade is quite yet we just know that he lives inside the walls of the keep and he is teaching Fitz to be an assassin Um, but he does kind of give him the option to decide not to kill people if he gets to that point right now Fitz is just learning how to kill people Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's about where these chapters bring it up to yeah Um, pretty much
0: okay so Going into the first chapter, um, The Earliest History, Um, this is where it all begins. And it's kind of crazy. Like, my first impression reading this is that, uh, or my first impression when when I was reading this is, like, I feel so bad for Fitz because you can, like, I feel like there's, like, like, almost like, I feel like past past this trilogy, there's very few times where he actually talks super openly about how he how he feels. Like, we see it in, in these, in, like, this very starting chapter, and I think the very ending chapter of um Assassin's Quest, where he really goes in depth of, like, man, I have trauma, and I feel real bad about it. Um, and from the perspective of someone who's, like, already read the whole series and makes sense, but I can definitely see how, like, I've had I've had, when i when introducing this book to people I've had a bunch of people be like this guy is so emo what's going on Meanwhile I'm in the corner crying <laughs> like oh my baby someone help him He's been through so much mm-hmm. Yeah
3: He's very like detached a lot of
2: times Like it would be extremely traumatic to all of a sudden like be dumped on this scary like of this building that you've never been to. Like he describes the door looking weird. Like this is obviously not an area he's familiar with. And his grandfather's just like dragging him along, throwing ice chunks at his mom to like get her away from them. And then just leaves him at like six. But he just kind of describes it like this is what happened. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: I think that that could be because he's become so detached. Like later on, and that's when he's telling it. And I think he kind of has to like detach himself from what he does just to kind of get through every day. Because if he sat down and just was like, let me feel all of my feelings, then everything that he has done, like all of the people that he's murdered, and all of the things that he's done in the name of the crown and like the king, and the way everything happens with Molly, like, he... I don't know how he would be able to get up and live.
3: No,
2: that, and also, is this written, like, I think that's one thing I have in my notes, but, like, is this written down when he's in his cabin, like, after Assassin's Quest with Hap? Because if that's the case, then he's also, like, halfway forged when he's right of this,
0: I'm, I'm pretty sure that... it is then because he mentions like, um, my memories mm-hmm. reach back to when I was six years old. Before that, there is nothing, only a blank gulf. Which we yeah. know he has those memories because later, when he gets them back from Girl on a Dragon, he's like, Oh, I remember my mom, I remember being called Kepit. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like right now, he's just throwing all those memories into Girl on a Dragon,
2: yeah, right. mm-hmm. So that kind of explains that detached level of like. He's very much just like, this is what happened. Or he'll be like, I was lonely.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But you don't get the full depth of like the emotion behind that.
0: Yeah, which yeah. is why I think when the first time you're reading it can kind of feel like whiplashy where it's like sometimes I'm reading and I'm like, I'm, I, I'm supposed to empathize with this as a reader. And then other times it's like, wow, this is so overwrought. And then you get to the end of the trilogy and it's like, oh, okay. In hindsight, coming from, knowing where he's writing this from, you get lots of it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And also, to, to wait, qu- quickly to what you were saying about, like, him not being able to get through day-to-day. Th- day day. I agree, but I also think that, like, it ends up being, like, a really extreme thing. Because we find out at the end of Tawny Man that, like, he just ends up, like, he he doesn't actually have ambition. Or like he doesn't, like, push his life forward because he, like, forged himself. And it's, like, it's just because, like, I feel like there just are not, in the, in the time that he's living, there's just not good tools to deal with, like... The trauma yeah, he's experienced and no therapy. one gets it like, like there's the part where like in way later in the last book of the tawny man trilogy where he takes like the the crazy drug infused cake and he gets really really depressed and everyone's like are you so depressed oh, that's so that's so whack and it's like no one has any empathy for that kind of depression or like it or, or like the like his try his trauma and so he has to resort to like these extreme measures Which, ideally, he wouldn't have to, but it's kind of, like, the only coping mechanisms he has.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Or Burritch just gets him drunk. (laughs) I know! (laughs) But
1: I think that that's because that's how Burritch copes. Like, I think that's exactly what he did to get over chivalry, leaving him behind, basically. Because I think at the beginning of the book, we kind of see him not being, like, a drunk because he still is always very capable, and he like takes care of everything. But he does drink a substantial amount at the beginning, mm-hmm. and so he thinks and that that's like kind of life. the way you.
0: All He's everything. like my life as a man is over. I have no purpose, no one to serve, and I can't like do anything independently. Yeah, I'm crippled, also.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: Which we see, we see like okay. Fitz completely mirror that at the start of the second book, where he's just, yeah. and it's just like. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, I, I I'm getting so ahead, but yeah. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. So other stuff from the first chapter. Right off the bat, they talk about um, Fitz talks about names. History shows us that this was not always sufficient to bind a child to the virtue that named it. And like this whole section, he's talking about like how the farseers like imparted names uh, to their child and like rituals. I think someone later mentioned that there's that we actually see that ritual in one of the short stories, which I haven't read. That so I'm excited yeah. to see that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's in um, the novella, the Willful Princess and the Piebald Prince. You actually see them do it, and it's kind of it's kind of a little crazy because they like do. I don't know if they pass the child through actual fire. I think they do it like right above the fire, but then they like dunk it in water and stuff. It's it's a little crazy. It's
0: so, yeah, like, it's weird baptism but naked metal. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, and I, lo- I but yeah, I love the mention of how, like names are important, but they're not really all that because we because it it takes away, I think, like lots of what's cool about Fitz's arc and just a story in general is how like there's like there, there's like a the future, like there's stuff that will happen, but you can also like nothing's deterministic. You can change it. Like he's a changer. And so, like, just this idea of, like, no one's ever bound to a single fate is something that I think is super cool. And they and it's, it being, like, one of the first things they talk about really sets it up in the reader's mind as a theme, I think.
1: Well, I wonder if everyone else's fate is a little bit more set in with their name. But since Fitz doesn't really have a name, or he has so many different names, like Kepet or... Fitz Chivalry or New Boy or Tom Badgerlock, he can take on these different like personas, and he can become something that other people can't because they're kind of stuck with their name.
2: Yeah, because he's never sealed to any name. He's just whatever someone wants to call him at that
1: moment. Yeah, and he doesn't even get his own real name. Like, he... Burch even says that he can choose his name, but he doesn't want that. He wants someone to give him a name. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
1: think well, it's we like also see
2: examples here. of people that like don't align with what their name is. Like I would never call patience patient.
0: patient. <laughs> you know Like dutiful while he does grow into a good king, it's like he still has like that independent kind of streak for lots of it for lots of the tawny man trilogy and like yeah. here and there in the final trilogy and also t- talking about like assuming different identities reminded me of the fool who like goes through like goes through so many personas to- throughout their life and it's like kind of accepts that facet of their life more so than than fitz ever does like the idea of like changing as they go through life i think like F- fitz really like holds on to who he was as a kid at some points but the fool kind of ex- just, I guess, as a white, they're all they're always evolving, so kind of just accepts that natural transition. Yeah, and I think it's also another thing against like, even though Fitz is the catalyst, I think the fool being the prophet, but also having like this kind of changeable thing going on, especially after, especially after technically, uh, the fool dies and comes back. Right? They mm. they they don't they haven't seen anything past that, so he kind of just at that point, is free to do whatever. And I, th- I feel like maybe that isn't exactly the case in The Last Trilogy. I've forgotten lots of The Last Trilogy, I'm going to be honest. Um, but from what I remember, I definitely think that, like, yeah, I, I think I th- that, like, the presence of the fool kind of plays against that.
1: I think he still can't see anymore. But he, like, tries to interpret B's visions. Mm.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's how he, like, goes about in The Last Trilogy. I mean he can't see physically either at the
3: beginning of the last trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for I have only read up to like
2: the first 100 pages of Assassin's Fate, like fully read, but most of like the fool's driving force is literally just vengeance. He's he doesn't even care about like what that leads to as much as like kill these people that were terrible to me and make sure they can't be terrible anymore it's not it's such a departure from like everything we see of him up till that point that it's almost kind of weird because he's so like different but it's like such a trauma response and
3: it's so sad (laughs)
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely sad but I, it's also like it, it's like the fool has been doing so much for the world and has been like shaping his whole life like a, a, around like I'm going to eventually die for the sake of the entire world so it feels like there's a, there's a little bit of like hell yeah the, die, like, do, so, do something too. for yeah do something for yourself like though obviously ideally it wouldn't be uh, a murder rampage against your childhood abusers, but hey, at least you're just, at least it's self-motivated, something just to start off with.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, getting back to chapter one. Um, <laughs> we're talking about the last book, so we're starting on the first <laughs> what? Uh-huh. um
1: okay so I have a confession. Um the hmm. first time that I read through I think at least the first three books, probably a little bit more. Um, I really only skimmed through the italicized sections at the beginning of each chapter. And I like didn't think that there was much to gain from them because sometimes they didn't feel like they were really about the chapter. But now they're the thing that I focus on the most because there's so much, they're like so rich Even though they've got such a small section, they've got so much in them just about the world and, like, their beliefs and their history. So I definitely hang on to that now. But I did not before.
2: Yeah, I thought, like, well, especially since I started out of order, so I knew nothing about, like, this world or whatever, I would read them. But I really didn't retain any of it because I was like, I don't know what any of this means or, like... I don't understand that this has any relevance, whereas now when I'm rereading it, especially when I see, like, bits of letters or things, like sometimes you'll get a letter from patients to somebody or, like, a letter from oh. those I always hold on to because we don't get very many glimpses of these characters, especially ones that, like, aren't in Fitz's life at all or very little mm-hmm. that, like, those people are so interesting to me. So any little glimpse that I can get of like their
0: voice, I am always fascinated by. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of voices, I think like lots of what, what I get from rereading the books is like how much being stuck in Fitz's perspective really like messes with how you end up seeing the situation as a whole, because Fitz has a very unique perspective on lots of things. Just, yeah. he's basically, he's basically, he, he he's a dumbass in something. I think there's, like, a later chapter where, like, uh, oh, it's when uh, Chade is, when Chade reveals that he's a, a bastard. Um, and Fitz is like, what? And Chade is like, for someone so perspective, perspective someone so uh, perceptive, perceptive, you have odd blind spots. Mm-hmm. And it's like... It
1: really does. Yeah.
0: And yeah, so getting to see problem. like descriptions of the world from other people's perce- perspectives, even for just, like, a little bit, is like so revealing and yeah and like <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you like really come to appreciate it on a reread
4: mm-hmm.
3: yeah i agree fitz is like a
2: master of deluding himself like he'll just be like everything is fine and even like a reader i mean when i was reading the very first book i c- didn't even know what a white prophet would, was or the Unexpected Son. And I was still like, they're going to take B. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it still just was like, who's the Unexpected Son? What possibly could a messenger be doing at my house?
0: You know, I don't have a son. <laughs> right. For, for someone like, like, like who's called a changer, he spends most of the series remarkably just like going with the flow. <laughs> Just yes. like, or
1: trying to, to change. not change and like trying to be stuck in his ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, whenever he does rebel, it's just for like, there's someone trying to like make him do something, and he's like, "No, I'm me."
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely.
0: Um, okay. Other lines and stuff that I found interesting from this chapter. Um. Oh, yeah. One thing is, I was surprised that, like, the guard or whoever, like, picked him up first wasn't more surprised that it was supposed to be, like, Chivalry's Bastard. Because, like, from everything else we see in the series, it was, like, this big deal that no one would have expected. Chivalry was, like, it was completely against, like, uh, Chivalry's, like, public-facing character. So the fact that this guard's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's Chivalry's Bastard is just kind of like... Especially, we even in the same chapter, we see Verity be like, whoa, what? So like that always like on I think that's one thing on re- most stuff on rereads feels like it fits in smoothly to my understanding like ad hoc I guess but that one thing like I was a little confused about I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that but, like I didn't
1: even really notice that I think that in us in the section when I think he's taking Fitz to Verity he says that or like Fitz is saying that he just kind of accepted it as, like, any soldier should or something like that. Like, he just was, like, okay, this is above my station, so it's not something that I should be, like, questioning.
2: Right.
3: Well, you also
2: hear sometimes about people that, like, didn't love chivalry because of that, so he could have been one of those that's, like, oh, he's not perfect after all, like... Yeah. Whatever. So, it You don't really, like, get much from whatever that guy is thinking. I think his name is, like, Jason. Yeah. But he's really just, like... Because I noticed when I was rereading that Verity doesn't specifically tell Jason to give Fitz to Burrich. He's, like... Yeah. Find a place for him to stay. And this guy immediately takes him to Burrich, and he's, like, Verity says this is your problem now. Like, I think that... If As I really chivalry man, yeah, I do not want to deal with this kid, and I don't care about him at all. <laughs> so. mm,
0: yeah. Fair. Um. Oh yeah, I love the line. Uh, Burch was talking about uh, patience and the fact that Fitz exists, and he says it's a thing that will try her lady's will to the edge of her very name. I'm like, that's a, that's a, that's a cool line, and I feel like and it's yeah, compared to how rough Burridge usually speaks, it was very like poetic.
1: Yeah. Well, Um, I think that also tells to, like, how Birch feels about Patience, because weren't they, like, in love before Chivalry decided to marry him or her? So it's kind of, like, nice that he thinks immediately of Patience and what this is going, like, how this is going to affect her, rather than thinking about what this is going to do to Chivalry.
0: He still
1: cares for her.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I totally misread. Like when I first read this book, I had the complete wrong read because like I picked up on on like there's something there's something going on with Burge, but I thought it was that him and Chivalry had more than like a master servant relationship, and that there was like some sort of like r- romantic tension it. going there. Yeah, and then and then. Like the patient, and then it was real that he loved patients. I'm like, oh, that also makes sense and fits in with everything else. (laughs) I was just like barking up the wrong tree.
2: (laughs) You were close (laughs) though. Theory Mm -hmm. too. Like I've seen it theorized that there might like Birch might have been in love with chivalry. Well,
1: and in like chapter, whenever he gets Fitz drunk, he says something like, "Um, it's okay to kiss to go around like." kissing women like a woman or a man like he's like but as long as you don't like flaunt it around and be a whore I'll try and find the find where it is
0: that's really interesting especially given like what we see in the second trilogy about how like generally homophobic the six duchies is yeah yeah
3: I
2: remember the conversation but I don't remember the specifics Because I remember Fitz says then what happened with my father about Mm -hmm. like having
3: a bastard and Mm -hmm. Birch is like I don't know he was just young I guess. (laughs) Mm -hmm. One line that I noted down while you're trying to find out
2: section Alex was From, like, Fitz's grandfather when he's dropping him off. He says, I fed him at my table for six years and never a word from his father. Never a coin, never a visit, though my daughter gives me to understand he knows he fathered a bastard on her. Which I noted on this read because everyone always acts like it's a surprise and, like, Chivalry had no idea and had to abdicate because this, like, kid came out of nowhere and blah blah blah. But this grandfather is like no he knows so i was wondering like did he know or is this guy just saying that or did he like actually know but he knew that fitz wouldn't be safe so he was trying to like keep
0: it on the dl i think it's okay i think this is one of the most interesting parts of the series for me on a reread is Pretty much everything we get from chivalry, get, we know about chivalry, is from people who were very close to him and had a big loyalty to him. Fitz knows about him from Burritch and Verity, primarily. And then every, and, like, Chade a little bit. But mostly from, like, public opinion other than that. And I feel like also Fitz has, like, a little bit of resentment towards chivalry, but also has, like, this kind of need to, as any child does, to, like, defend their parent. And I feel like Fitz kind of tries to assume the best of chivalry at some points. So, and, and like, where I'm getting to with this is I think that, like, I think Chivalry probably knew. Like, I, I do think so. And I think that, like, he he probably wasn't, like, as great a person as everyone would like him to be. And that doesn't mean he's a bad person, per se, but I think it's just, like, I think that, like, the fact that everyone who has who is closest to him is the only people we get to hear talk about him at length, probably really influences the way that we're supposed the way that we're, we perceive him. Yeah.
3: Um. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I also think he
2: knew better than anyone how desire would react. To a bastard or even how Shrewd would like he grew up being like well the only other royal bastard I know is Shade who literally has to live inside the walls and like Shrewd just forgets about him in there half the time mm-hmm. so it's like what kind of life does a royal
0: bastard have
4: you
2: know?
0: Like, probably like, once he married Patience he like that probably like, just like sealed the deal of like oh I can never reveal this because like the like he would like it would, like it hurt Patience a lot. It hurt Patience for years.
4: Yeah. Broke yeah. her heart.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Patience may be my favorite character. Maybe not my favorite character in the series. That's a fool. But like Patience is, is so up there. I love her. She's and I'm so amazing. sad that we don't get to say more of her.
2: I know. Um, she's, my, she's definitely my favorite female character. I think the only
3: character I love above her is Night Eyes. Sure. <sighs> yeah. Still, lines while Alex is trying to find that section. Um, <laughs> trying my best. <laughs> um. Let's see.
0: Oh yeah, I love the way that she writes the first uh, night with Nosy because it's kind of the first example of like uh, Robin Hobb like writing stuff from Fitz's perspective and in like a very like matter of fact or like nonchalant way, so that it kind of like. You're like, is some like you just you're reading and you're like, uh-huh, uh uh-huh, and you're like, wait, isn't there something weird going on here? Like when he talks about like sharing dreams with the dog, but like she just kind of like slips it in there, and it's like, yeah, that's a, this is a thing that's happening, and then it's only later, once you get like a, a, a fuller understanding of like what the wit is, that you can like recontextualize a lot of what's going on here. But in first read, it's like, is it just like Fitz's imagination? Like what's the like what's going on here? Especially since, like, she just kind of slips in and is like, yeah, this is happening, and then, like, moves on to other details about the castle. its It kind of becomes hard to evaluate, is this really, like, how important is this? Because they don't, like, dwell on it for a long time.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to see how she introduces the wit without ever giving it a name or, like, describing it as a magic. Like, it's so subtle that you don't really even realize what he's doing. You just, mm-hmm. like, you're like, somehow like maybe he's just really in tune like i my dog can look at me and i know like what he needs but i'm not reading his mind you know like
4: mm-hmm.
2: you don't really get the sense you no know, he's like bffs with this dog
4: mm-hmm.
2: and then it kind of escalates to the point where you know he can tell like oh i know that vixen has to go to the bathroom or like she's hungry
0: Based Based on like how- he's like he share he shares know memory and uh, of like yeah w- of like places and stuff yeah and he starts to refer to them as like a single unit or like well, he's he's he moves from talking about himself in first person to like always using we we whenever he mm-hmm. talks about stuff yeah so
2: or when they're stealing sausages and nosy like knows exactly where he's going to throw them or whatever mm-hmm. like he mm-hmm. mentions that the other kids don't pick up on it and it's like You start to get the sense that it's definitely not normal, Mm -hmm. but you don't know the full depth of it for a long time. And it's like, by the time you understand that, you're more used to it. Like, if she opened up the book with, like, this character talks to dogs, you might be a little bit like, really? But she does it so smoothly that by the time you get to that point where he's, like, fully having a conversation
0: with Night Eyes, you just accept it as reality. And it's... Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, just putting things in context is... she does such a great job of. Um... Mm -hmm. Other stuff. Oh, yeah. Another line that stood out to me is, uh... I don't remember if it was Birch or Verity, but it was in the conversation with Regal in the stable. What do I know of children? Which probably that's basically every adult talking to Fitz other than Lacey I feel like literally no other adult in this book has like seen a child they're just like like how do I what what do I do with you they either treat him like an adult or a dog or they're just like confusion what do I do with you or like a or or like a slave or like I feel like no one really knows how to talk to children. And it just like, it just blows my mind. I'm like, yeah, there are kids in this world. How are you so bad at this? (laughs) I found it. You
1: guys, I found it. It took a long time, but I got it. Okay. So this is where they're kind of talking about Fitz being a bastard and how it's kind of rare in like royalty, but it's, kind of normal among the people in town and Burridge says um what would you have thought of me when you were younger if i'd gone out whoring at night or brought women up to the room how would you see women now or men it's fine to fall in love fits and no one begrudges a young woman or man a kiss or two and like i didn't read that the first time and like think about it but he could be into both,
3: mm-hmm. and that's
1: why he says that it's fine to be with one per one of or both of them. Um, but you can't just be a little whore,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't like read it that way, but it makes sense, like, it's vague enough that.
0: The is is, like, we, we we'd never know because Burch is just like so damned. like, cl- like, He's such a I, close like I feel like he would treat yeah. like anything like that any like interest in men the same way that he treats the wit, which is like buried deep inside. We don't talk about that. like, yeah.
1: well, mm-hmm. also, isn't Burch's family from like chalice?
0: yeah, like yeah they like
1: came as slaves or something. So maybe yeah. their customs are a little bit differently. I know we see a little bit of it. Is it in like the Rainwild Chronicles or the last, mm-hmm. Fitz last- trilogy?
0: Oh. I know last that there's season Rainwild season stuff season. in the last book, but I haven't read the Ra- rainwild, rainwild Chronicles. So like.
2: It's a bunch of, I just read the Rainwild Chronicles like this summer. Um, but there's a bunch of like, you know, Chalcidian or Chalcidian like characters and whatever, and it's very like you have to be a macho man, and anything less than a macho man is garbage. And we hate women, and we
0: hate like
2: girly boys. Like, they like just, oh
0: yeah, because childhood, childhood is literally is the slave state.
2: Thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Were they origin? They might not have originally been from childhood Maybe they were like because they were slaves, right? I know that childhood also just like yeah. So, maybe then, they he went imports a lot of it like, Yeah, I feel like I remember him being from maybe Chirda, to start off with, or maybe he, that's I just remember Chirda because that's, that's where he where met Fitz Chillery. Is
1: almost from.
0: Because yeah, I, I, I guess Chirda is from. close to the Mountain Kingdom. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because I think he Fitz might have a little bit of lighter coloring, than the rest of, the like royal family, and I think it's because he has like mountain blood in him.
4: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, he says later on his mom was, like, from the Mountain Kingdom, because that's why he thinks B is so fair.
0: Mm -hmm. Which is, like, that also, like, I'm just like, how does he not put it together? Yeah, I know. He's so stupid. I love him. I know. When -hmm. he's,
2: when B's, like, obviously having dreams, (laughs) like, it's like, you grew up with the fool. How do you not?
0: He's Put just he's subtle. such a himbo. God. He's
2: just very much like, I don't want to see it, so I do not see it.
0: <laughs> I do not see it.
3: <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: Yep. Um. um one thing I found interesting was
2: um like and I noticed this my first time reading it too. Um I had remembered Regal being referenced as like a bad guy, and when I first started reading, I was like, he seems fine. But the first introduction we get, he's, like, chastising Verity for putting Fitz in the stable. Yeah, like, parading like him around and, and
1: stuff.
2: Yeah, he's like, don't put kids in stables. Like, do better. But Then he just turns into a horrible monster.
0: And I mean, I from kind of- the first thing, he also says, like, mother and I were Basically, putting the child we should put aside. <laughs> That's yeah. true.
2: Like, it's such a weird, like...
0: I think the reason that he was, is, like, he's all about, like, image, and, like, image of the royal family, and he's like, "Oh, you've, like, this is a PR disaster.
1: Yeah, that's the (laughs) only reason that he's upset that Fitz is in the stables, is because Fitz is somewhat kind of-ish royalty.
2: Yeah. He's got royal
1: blood (laughs) flowing through his veins, that's
4: it.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Like, the first time I read it, I was like, he's kind of being nice, but... You're right. It's very much like an image. Like this, I hate this kid, but he still can't be here.
1: (laughs) And Um, I think that Shrewd kind of has a little bit of that in him too. Obviously not to the extent that Regal does, but I think that he does a little bit. And I think you probably have to as a king, but from the very beginning, we see Shrewd scheming and like planning what he's going to do with Fitz um i said uh, like on the at the first chapter he's trying to figure out how fits can like fit into the narrative of the family and he shrewd initially thinks like we'll use fits to show chivalry in this different light <clears throat> showing that he's not this perfect person and he can make mistakes but also look he like can produce an heir if he wanted to it's not him that's broken
4: Mm-hmm. And then
1: when that plan doesn't fall doesn't follow up or follow through, Shrewd comes up with a new idea and he's like, well, let's make him um a royal assassin. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Regal also has like active distaste for distaste for Fitz because of how Fitz is an obstacle to his path to the throne. Because like in this chapter, yeah. he's like Verity's like, you don't have to remind me, brother. That you're higher than me in the succession. I know, and that's the only thing that he takes from
1: that conversation. Like, calm down.
0: I'm such a drama queen, and like he's still a teenager, right?
4: Yeah, I wish we got
0: to see more of Queen Desire or like more, more of Regal's upbringing because I feel like sometimes Regal feels like caricatureishly bad as like a villain. Mm -hmm. He's like, and especially compared to like some of the future antagonists. um, Yeah, I think that like. I, or like maybe even some, like some like point of view chapter or something uh, to like get into his head because I think that like Kenneth from like the second series is like one of the vilest villains I think I've seen in a series, but, but he's still a super it, it, yeah, super compelling as a character because we get to see in his head and we get to see all of his like like reasoning or lack thereof. Yeah. Thinks...
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: and, yeah. and
2: well. Paragon has taken like most mm-hmm. of his empathy along yeah. with his like so he's basically like mostly forged but still very smart and terrible
0: yeah Yeah. Uh, so manipulative but yeah
2: one one thing i noticed so this is my third reread of farseer and one thing i noticed on my second reread was that um i don't remember when exactly it comes to light but like there's a point at which in one book fitz kind of realizes that Regal, like, really believes that Shrewd murdered his mom, which he might have. Like, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about whether I think that Shrewd did that or not because I don't think he's above it. Or, uh, yeah, he's not above it. But, like, if I thought someone murdered my mom, I would want to kill them too, probably. So, like, it kind of puts in perspective and he thinks that, like, Verity and Fitz are in cahoots with this whole like plot. So, you know, and he's just too stupid to realize that the red chips are actually a threat. I think it's a yeah,
0: combination. He, he, has of that, right. he has that inlands brain.
2: Yeah. yeah. Like it's a well, I think of being dumb and like really believing that these people like hurt his. But mother. also, like,
0: he, he is dumb, but I think that like. One of like the biggest things that helps contextualize for me, like, because like I think the biggest question throughout the last few weeks is like, why the fuck does nobody do anything about Regal? And I think that like, there's like a scene where like Fitz is in the dungeons and he like realizes like, oh, no one else gets it. No one get no one gets how dangerous he is. They all they all think he's dumb, and he's dumb, but he's also ruthless and and does not play by the rule play by the rules that anyone else does. If he wants to get something done, he will, regardless of, like, civility or, like, law or morals or whatever.
1: I think they see him kind of as, like, Queen Desire. Because Queen Desire, Mm. I feel, was all talk. And she would Mm -hmm. never do anything, and Shrewd kind of wrote her off. And I feel like even from the very beginning, with, like, Shrewd's interaction with Regal, we can tell that he's clearly not the favorite son, and that he's, I think really only gets like love and praise and everything from his mom so it makes sense why he would take her side and feel so strongly about issues that she brought up but i think that people write him off as being all talk just like desire was but he's clearly not he can definitely move things and put things into action and he takes what his mom was thinking and makes it a step further and just a little crazy.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I think that contrast with Queen Desire is really good. Like it's not that's not a way like I thought of how people would look at him, but that makes a lot of sense. It's like they're like he's mini Desire and it's like, "Oh, no."
3: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah.
0: Is there anything else y'all have to talk about for this chapter? If not, I have like one quick thing, and we can move on to chapter 2. I think that
2: yeah, I mostly think that's all that for chapter 1.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I want to talk about for chapter one, I guess, is the last line and a catalyst I became, which like I'm such a strong for a last line for the first
1: chapter, like right, mm-hmm. right. especially but once you like know like, where like, it's
0: going, like yes, yeah. that one word
1: is so important mm-hmm. because that's I feel like that's the only name that sticks with Fitz for. The whole thing for everything, like he through every trilogy, he's always the catalyst,
2: and he hates it. It's like the thing he fights against almost the so most. So much, like someone like calls someone calls him and- the changer, and he's like, oh, oh don't call me that." And that's get that mean. so upset about it, or like it just makes him so uncomfortable for really like very little reason. Like there's not directly some correlation between like. Someone calling that, and then him that, and then like punching him in the face. like there's not a direct negative event well, I
1: think he like doesn't it puts too much attention on him and too much responsibility. Yes. And I think that that's not something he likes, like even from the beginning, when the like random, like noble or whatever is kind of bullying him and is like, what's like, do you even have a name? Fitz doesn't like the attention that he's gaining because this guy is calling him out. And I think being labeled as a catalyst comes with a lot of responsibility because, like, obviously, the fool expects him to change the entire world. And then also, like, it really makes him the center of everything. And I don't think he cares for that either, because I think that also is a little bit of the reason why he doesn't really want to be recognized when, like, Ketrickin and, like, Dutiful want to recognize him as, like, part of the royal family and he's like, mm, actually, no, I don't want that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, he also just always think every at that point, he always thinks everyone wants to kill him. Like, he's yeah. so afraid that if anyone finds out who he is, they're gonna do to him what happened, like, the last time people thought he was witted.
0: So... And not just kill him, but, like, use him. He's also really, it's like, he's, yeah. he's yeah. He, he, like, death for him I think isn't as scary as like loss of freedom in some and like Mm -hmm. I guess at that point death also represents like loss of freedom in in some capacity he's like he's not as suicidal as he was but it's also like the thing (laughs) of like "Ah, don't 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 pull me back into this I want my own life yeah
2: I think a lot of that like reticence comes from what happens or what eventually happens at the end of this book too because I remember there being a conversation where he kind of realizes that like Shrewd probably knew what Regal was up to and was kind of using Fitz as a sacrificial lamb to, like, get rid of Rurisk. And it was like, well, Regal might also kill him, but, you know, collateral damage. Just in case he doesn't. Yeah. And so Fitz is like, okay, well, what, like, they make me do things, but then they also poison me and don't care. So... It's very Jesus. much. Regal has no repercussions for what happens. And I, yeah,
0: I feel like Fitz would have like betrayed Shrewd a lot earlier if it wasn't for. We can talk about this when we get to that chapter. But I really feel like Shrewd like imparted a skill command onto Fitz when he like claims him, and that's kind yeah. of where like lots of the loyalty of the farcier line comes.
1: Yeah, because that's when he like says despite that even. skill command, he
0: like pulled away from it so much, so it's like yeah.
1: Well, even that's like when he says that was my first touch of the scale or that's the first time that I had felt the scale. Um, yeah, but, but I think it's so sad, talking about so that section, how Fitz says that he would have given
3: what willingly
1: what, Shrewd, what bought. Shrewd bought if Shrewd had just acknowledged him as his grandson. And that makes yeah, me so sad because I that think that Fitz would have been even more loyal shrewd if it was a familial bond that connected them not you are kind of my man
2: and I am your king Mm -hmm. it shows how out of touch shrewd is with yeah like like, no wonder he didn't think regal was a threat he's so like he just sees everyone as pawns that he can't like
1: he's like how can I put you to use to this I agree 80. in general,
0: but I think for Regal, he actually his blind spot comes from caring about him too much because he's like, this is my, this is like uh, my my like baby son, and like <laughs> like he he like I think there's like, quite a few times where he, like he kind of like talks about how he loves Regal and like it's ta- and like I think even Shade talks about how that's like a blind spot for him. It's like while everyone else is like. Like he can he can use verity and chivalry as like pawns as like the as like the king in waitings specifically, because they have a thing to they have a duty, but I think he has this soft spot for his little wild child uh, and the, and that soft soft spot blooming into a paralysis of action and not yeah. actually trying to rein him in is what And a lot of drugs <laughs> yeah <laughs> and a lot of drugs. No. Okay, so uh, this has been like forty, almost fifty minutes. I'm starting to wonder if we should have done a chapter per per episode, but also that <laughs> the first episode is a and hopefully these next chapters are a little, a little more concise. But yeah, let's hit chapter two, new boy. Um, so this chapter starts off with an intro to your history about talks about Taker the first Forestry King who's also an Outsalander. Out or uh, Out Islander. I always read it as Outsilander when I first read it. And I just and now it's just <laughs> like stuck that. in my head. And I read it as Out Islander and I'm like, oh that makes so much more sense. Um <laughs> but yeah so for uh Taker who is an Out Islander and talks about the founding of Buckkeep itself. Um and then that transitions smoothly into uh Fitz, Burridge, and the gang arriving at Buckkeep Castle. Um and other stuff in this chapter is we meet a few characters like Cobb, uh Molly Nosebleed, and Fitz gets his I guess town name of New Boy. Um and yeah, I think that's the broad summary, and we can talk about yeah. like other stuff that happens.
2: Um, I feel like this chapter is the first time we really see, like, the division of Fitz's versions of himself or, like, his lives. And it's something that he continues to, like, fight against the rest of the entire series. Like, and I think, you know, I am a champion for Molly. I know she's not a super popular character among the fandom, but, like, she represents to him the time in this chapter where he just gets to, like, be completely free. Like, he just gets to run around and be a little boy and play with his friends and hang out with his dog. He doesn't have to worry about anyone, like, hanging him over water and cutting him apart or, like, killing somebody or, you know, being tired and having to get up in the middle of the night. Expecting stuff with him. Which is, like,
0: there's there's a line in the chapter where he's, like, I was relieved that Cobb expected nothing more of me than he would expect of a puppy. And it's like, that's all oh, fits yeah. wants. Well.
2: He just wants to be... He wants a simple
1: life. And I think that's what Molly represents to him.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he, like, is trying to keep these worlds separate so he can still have this own pocket of, like, his life to himself. So he... it always feels in the books like there's... To like different worlds, and sometimes it's so frustrating because you're like, just talk to her about things, like please. But then, Tell her, yeah. But then like he's fighting so hard to like keep that bubble of his life pure from all the rest of the shit that he feels like he can't like. If he tells her anything, it's gonna pop, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think we see that even, like, as early as this, where, like, when when Birch isn't treating him like a puppy, he talks to Fitz, like, an adult or, like, a peer, he just kind of, like, exposition vomits onto him. And it's, like, this is not how, like, this is not how you treat a kid. He doesn't get to be a kid until he hits Buckkeep Town, and he's just like, oh, I'm free.
2: This
0: is freedom, yeah. Oh, there's actually one thing I want to talk about in chapter one, which is, like, Jason and Birch and, like, multiple people refer to Fitz as a pup which is like starting the canine metaphors or canine. I love
1: that. I love, love, love that. Especially how Fitz brings that into um, his relationship with B
3: and like his kids. Yes. And he calls them like cubs and stuff like that. I love it so much. I noticed so many
2: parallels in just seeing birch's like parenting style or lack thereof. And Fitz's parenting style or lack thereof with B, like especially once Burritch kind of catches wind that Fitz is communicating with animals, he's like, You're just gonna come with me and do everything always. Like once Nettle kind of mentions that like he's not paying enough attention to B, he literally just takes her everywhere. He's like, him. Come do my chores with me. Yeah, she's just like always with him. And she's
1: like, his little purse dog.
2: He doesn't, like, make sure that she bathes or anything, but, he, and he's like, but she's with me, so it's fine, and that's literally <laughs> yeah. exactly what Burridge does, like, yeah, too. like.
0: As long as they're under my eye, they can't disappear and, and get, and get in danger. Yeah. And get themselves in trouble. Yep. Which, ironically, is, like, like, Fitz doesn't realize the kind of, like, cage he's putting around. And in the same way that, like, he hates, he, like, it's the exact thing that he would hate. And he just yeah. doesn't get that.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: He's like it's it's so it's so funny how he's kind of become the he also began he becomes the aspects of his I'm I'm gonna say three dads like Verity, Shade uh, and Birch. that he and that he and that he takes on their qualities that he dislikes as well.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Speaking of mirroring, I think there was something that reminded me a little bit of what was said in the first chapter um Fitz asks Burich I think yeah because Burich is talking to him about being witted and he's like you don't want to kill because you like killing and all of this and like become a beast do you and Fitz is like well I don't know and then he says how can I know what I'll do until I've done it and I feel like that echoes shrewd when he tells regal don't do what you can't undo until you've considered what you've done what you can't do once you've done it and Mm. i just was like oh that's kind of a little bit of an echo
2: i didn't notice that but that's totally true fitz is getting mixed messages from everybody in his life because birch is like well you wouldn't want to kill somebody but then at night shade is creeping into his room being like do you want to learn to kill somebody?" you might kill
1: somebody
3: yeah (laughs) yeah So it's like, what is he supposed to do? He's only, like, nine. And And he's getting
0: all of these really messed up formative experiences.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: and he's probably been doing this mind melding with puppies for his whole life without knowing any better. And all of a sudden, Birch is like, never do it again. And it's, like, his main form of interacting with the world.
0: Like, yeah. There's a part where I almost wonder if, like, it didn't like manifest earlier in life, and maybe like what actually caused his grandfather to kick Fitz out was like maybe manifesting the wit. Like, there's no indication of that contextually, but I think that that would that would make sense.
2: He just repels at people whenever they make him mad. Like, he does it to the boy, to the guy in town. He does it to Birch a couple times, so it wouldn't.
0: Speaking of the guy in town, I'm just like. How did he read... there's a there's a kid in a corner with a dog in like the main, like in just like some random main concourse and this kid and this guy is like, are you chivalry's bastard? Like what? He I, I feel look like exactly yeah, like chivalry, so everyone at age six, like he must have like he, like it must be like a dead on resemblance, especially for yeah. for someone who I'm assuming is a town folk who doesn't like meet chivalry on the daily. So like Well
1: I thought that happened up at the keep when he's in the kitchen, and Cobb is, like, going to get them food.
0: Yeah, That's does. how I okay. read it. I, I, think it was, I thought that they were, like, I thought that he left Fitz and uh, and nosy, like, outside, but mi- I might have, like, misread that. Cobb's I just
3: read like, that they're, like, in a yeah.
0: hallway.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay. So it could but I like also,
2: him, but.
1: I think talking about the wit, I also think that in the Mountain Kingdom, it's more accepted, and it's just like a fact of life. Like some people have this because I know, like, I think in the later books, um, Ketrakin tries to like strengthen her connection to the world and like her minimal wit ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think that maybe she talks about it
0: being okay where I don't think she comes from. She does I don't think she like contextualize it as the wit, but she she definitely does like she has like that meditation thing and she like can she obviously like can feel night eyes and there's like the implication that also like Rurisk had a has a connection with Nosy Yeah to some degree. So it's probably like a cultural thing where just like the naming and discourse around it isn't as harsh as the wit.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed, speaking of the wit, one line that, like, really stood out to me is, um, from Burch. He says, if chivalry will not have me with him, it's the least I can do for him. I'll see that his son grows up a man and not a wolf. Which I thought was just, like, crazy foreshadowing that I can't believe I never noticed before. But there's, like, no mention of wolves up till this point. He just won't let him be by any animal, and he happened to bond with, like, one puppy, and this word choice is, like, so interesting that Birch says, because especially considering Birch is the one that ends up, like, encouraging him to kind of use...
3: Yes. My eyes, like...
2: It's such a full circle moment. And, like, I literally stopped when I was reading it and I was like, whoa. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and, like, he ends up... He, he, he Like, he's traumatized for his whole life because he ends up thinking that he broke this promise that not only did uh his chivalry son grew up into a wolf and died a wolf and like there's like mm-hmm. that there's a whole conversation in, a, in Golden Fool where he's like essentially like spilling his spilling his heart out to Katrick and he's like yo I like I, I failed chivalry I failed Fitz. and it's all because I couldn't f- stick to this one promise yeah, so like the, this this one that I'm I'm I missed that line, but I'm super glad you picked up on it because like that one line yeah, like, shapes so much of Birch's like future.
2: Right. It's just like so pivotal for the whole rest of their relationship. And like just crazy foreshadowing like of all the animals he could have said.
0: Mm-hmm. It's yeah, and like, and the first time you just gloss over it, it's like, yeah, okay. It's just generally he's talking beasts, yeah. and yeah. then yeah. Um,
3: yeah. Is there anything else from that chapter? No, oh, I think we touched on everything. At least I had.
0: Yeah, me too. Okay. Cool. So, moving on to chapter three, uh, covenant. Um. Can someone else do the intro for this? Because I have forgotten it. Like, I've forgotten the general summary. Okay. Um,
2: <laughs> so, in my notes, I had... The intro here says the out Islanders don't have... It was a little piece about skill. Yeah. Um, out Islanders don't have the skill, nor do people descended solely from six, six duchies folk. Um, so, I had put, like, does this mean that the skill really only occurs when the two lines mingle? Like it's kind of like a recessive gene, which I think could be correct because like when you read Live Ship and Rainwilds, you don't really come into anybody that has this magic to the level that like fits and the far have it. But yeah. then they say like, Oh, we just put out a skill call and whoever has it comes up. So it could be that whoever happens to be from these two lines that probably are distantly really related to old elderlings from like the s Slevjall. i have Levjal. no idea how to say that yeah. <laughs> from that like elderling kingdom and then from Kalsingra or whatever like area was in buck and those witness stones
0: mm-hmm. yeah because i think oh, i have to go back and check but i think at the start of chapter two he mentions that like the, the taker had um, taker brought to the farcer line the blood of the out islanders which brought mm-hmm. the proclivity for the skill and all this blah 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 that comes all the issues that comes with it or something. But yeah, it really seems to imply that like out out islander blood is required for that. And yeah, and, m- mentioning Aslata, I wonder if like the reason that out islander stuff matters is like both descending, descending for the el- elderlings, but also like passive proximity to ice fire. Maybe just, like, that has something to do with it. But, yeah.
2: Yeah, that could be. It's interesting. Well, I don't think anyone really lives on that island, right? Besides the pale woman and all her little minions.
0: And uh, whatever whatever the really old black... Um, yeah. Oh, I yeah. Is. I forget. Pearl cop, is. Pearl cop yes. that's the name.
2: Yeah. Um, you would think if anyone else had lived there... They would have eventually started getting some elderling like features, qualities
1: to them. Yeah,
2: but since no one lived there, people
0: probably just didn't notice. Mm-hmm. I wonder—is it like I, I want like? Do you need like more than one dragon for elderling qualities? Does a dragon need to be awake? Mm-hmm. This is all actually. Most of this like. This proximity stuff probably gets answered in, like, Rainwilds, and I just need to read. It yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I'll, I'll, <laughs> so then I'll, I'll pick that up and read that at some point.
2: Um, I think my only other note for this chapter was just, like, how old are these people? Because, like you said, Fitz is, like, such an unreliable narrator, and everything is colored by... He's, like, his... everybody's
1: old as dirt, and you're, like... Yeah,
2: like, I... They have thought... gray hair. They're
1: not that old. <laughs>
2: I fully sh- thought. Shade was like eighty years I old. Still,
1: the, the way that of. Fitz says it, I still think that he's ancient, he's, and like but because he like relies weird. on the drugs to like keep him going for the all nighter when they're like riding to forge.
0: Like he's got to be old, not old but
2: enough to be like, like still alive. When Fitz I think like he's is
0: probably crazy. like thirty five, or like like comparing him to Shrewd.
2: He's like papery
0: and Yeah, I I think think that's because he's definitely like like,
1: he's got to be like because, like, older like 60s. I
0: think, and then
3: because he meets
1: Fitz when like
0: Fitz is like six, and then he's like he's still pretty spry. Like, he gets back into like court life and is still like pretty spry. Um, at the time of Tony man,
1: I think he uses a lot of drugs, and then I think he also uses like the skill. Yeah, he definitely.
2: A skill later like, on. Like heal
1: himself because I know that that's what Fitz has done. But like Fitz did that accidentally. Like his body just kind of I think, does I think, that. Like, him
0: being like 70 at the time of Tawny Man. And then by the time we get to Fitz in the Fool, he's like used the skill to slow down his, his aging enough that it doesn't really, like age yeah. doesn't really matter at that point. So probably like yeah. 40 at the time of the series. But yeah, F- Fitz is like this motherfucker is, like, 102. He's about yeah. to fall apart. And it's, like... Because, like, yeah, cause everyone, anyone older than him is just ancient.
2: You think Birch is super old until Molly starts talking about how hot he is. And you're, like, yeah.
0: wait. <laughs> Birch is hot. He's old. <laughs> yeah, and I think lots of that is just, like, probably his disposition fits his narration and also, like, the injury to the leg, kind of, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Change changes his mm-hmm, Is
3: thing because like even yeah, I think, I,
1: like, see even, I, think yeah. I see Burritch as being like in his 20s in no. this trilogy
2: yep first time I read it I pictured him as like 50
1: yeah I'm like he's an old man
2: yeah and then mm-hmm. like reading the other books and kind of coming back to it put in, into perspective like which I guess is accurate like when you're when I think about the way I viewed, like, my parents and my aunts and uncles or my grandparents when I was little. I thought everybody was... Everyone
1: old. who was an adult was very old.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, mm-hmm. like, so it it's kind of funny when you look back because especially, like, Fitz will be talking about things that happen in sooner and later books, and you... He's coming at it from, like, an older perspective. So he sees, like, how people were younger and it kind of colors it in a different way. Like, I think Hob does such a good job of writing from an age perspective. Yes. Like.
0: Okay, aging so- is, like, such a huge theme of this series as a whole, too.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, she also never, like, it's very rare that you get specifics of how old somebody is. Like, even Fitz. Fitz doesn't even know how old he is. He's like, no. uh, I think I'm, like, 60. You're like, what? <laughs> right.
3: huh? mm-hmm.
2: Right. And he doesn't really seem to care about hold anyone else's. Yeah. So he just doesn't mention like he'll describe like they looked like this, but you have no concept of which I guess is kind of like real life. Like I don't see somebody and immediately think like, this is a 66 year old man. They're 35. Like you just <laughs> think about the way they are, you know?
0: Yeah. And usually you expect like book descriptions to be like super... Like even if they don't give the exact age, you expect it to be like for old characters. Like they had wrinkly skin and white hair, and it's just like mm-hmm. there's a lot more nuance and in, in the descriptions that that Hob gives that make that makes it like more true to life in some cases because like not everyone ages the same way. Yeah, and bringing it back to Shade, I think he could also look
1: older than he actually is because of the um like pox and everything that are like scarring his. Body, mm-hmm. so it makes it him look.
0: Yeah, it makes older. him look older. I mean, we know that when he returns to court, that like I don't, I don't even think he's like skill heals them. I think they just kind of like naturally start fading with time, like the scars. I thought
1: he like used makeup or something for a minute, but I could be wrong. He gets to see.
0: Maybe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he actually he gets <laughs> some <laughs> he vitamin D.
2: He's clearly like such an extrovert too that I bet like, being holed up in the walls is literally just, like, sucking yeah, the life torture. out of him. Yeah, yeah, so once he gets to, like, be a party animal and whatever, he's so,
3: like, vivacious that it kind of brings life back to him. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: oh, Yeah one thing you mentioned here. We see the fool for the first time. It's crazy. I know,
1: it's my favorite. I love the fool so much with my whole entire heart. So I was like, oh my god, I love him. It's time <laughs>
4: here. Just, it's <laughs> just like, in
0: passing, like, the fool was there too, and it's like, the fool was there too! <laughs> yes!
1: <laughs> and I love the way that she describes the fool. She says, the king's new fool, but recently acquired, patterned with, after them, pale eyes, a goggle, in an eggshell vase, and I'm like, oh. I love you already. Yeah, It's so cute. And just the way the fool is described as being like flouncy and very light and airy and like not completely of this world is oh, I love mm-hmm. it.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: It's interesting how viscerally Fitz always seems to describe the fool when he really doesn't do that very often. Yeah. Like you get vague descriptions of other people, but then you'll get really like poignant visuals when it comes to the fool. Like there's, I mean, you can really picture what pale eggs, a goggle, and an eggshell face would look like. Whereas we and just I- have a description of shade where we're like, how old is he? You know? Like,
1: I think it's also maybe because, well, it's definitely because the fool is so different from anyone. That anyone else that lives in Buckkeep, he's like this strange, very foreign being. And then I think it also could be because Fitz can't really like feel the fool with his wit. So he like has to describe him in a different way using like his visuals rather than how he kind of feels
0: with Fitz's wit. Because there's that. Because again, like getting going back to the part where like he finds out that Shade is a bastard, he like he he kind of like he does this implication where like he hasn't actually like looked looked at Ch- at Shade before. He just kind of felt him. He like he's like I actually looked at him and like looked beneath the thing and not yeah. just my impression of him. But, <laughs> once again, it's so weird because like he's such a good like. He's such a good assassin in the sense of, like, he picks up on information and is, like, generally very perceptive. And he's so observant
1: in other times. Like, when he needs to be observant for, like, his job as an assassin, he can be. But in his regular day-to-day life, he, like,
0: doesn't see anything. Like, he has to, like, turn it on and turn it off consciously.
2: Yeah. I think up till, like, or most of his life, because he had these two magics the wit and the skill but he didn't know what they were how to use them or anything he's just been operating by not really looking at things but like feeling like there's a part where i think it's like mistress hasty's like measuring him and he like reaches out but like doesn't really get Yeah. yeah and he's like that was weird i like couldn't tell what she was feeling or thinking and it's like he's really just been like sending out feelers to everybody this whole time and not really realizing it or really like looking it's more of like an instinctual what vibe do i
0: get from you
2: and i wonder i wonder if he ever would have like come out of
0: his shell if he hadn't been in somewhere as like as like poppin Mm -hmm. as buckkeep I feel like Mm -hmm. in, like, a smaller place, he easily could have just, like, retreated and, like, stayed the very, like, silent child that he was as a young kid.
1: I also wonder if he, like, mingles the skill and the wit together when he does his questing out to other people, but he just doesn't realize that that's what he's doing and that it's two things, not just the wit.
4: I, I think, think it he, probably is, yeah. I think
0: he may have done it as a kid, but then we know that he has more control as he gets older because he senses Dutiful doing it, yeah. and he's like, that's not what I'm doing. Yeah. Because Dutiful has, like, no separation of the two when we first meet him. He's just like... Yeah.
2: He's also, like, not super self-aware sometimes, so he could very well be doing that and just, like... The exact same thing, yeah. Like, I'm better than Dutiful is, but really he's, like, <laughs> low-key not at all. Mm-hmm.
0: So to be fair, I think with the skill, Fitz is more likely to underestimate rather than overestimate himself. He like he spends yeah. like basically all because of, his of what with his happened life. with like Galen and like what mm-hmm. he what
1: Galen did to Fitz, like stunting him and like putting a block on him. I think that's probably why he still has that like, self doubt.
2: I think Fitz does that in every walk of his life though too like
1: he always downplays himself yeah. yeah
2: he thinks he's terrible at everything and he's really not that bad at a lot of things
0: yeah like especially thinks- like my favorite is like him like not realizing that he's attractive like 99% yeah, of the <laughs> time <laughs>
2: <laughs> Holy thinks he's like an ugly, talentless troll, and meanwhile he's like <laughs> very, very handsome and very good at fighting. And he's
1: like, like a kind, charismatic, like handsome guy.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, like like doesn't like Molly says like you're you're the best thing to come out of the stables since Burge, and he completely ignores the fact that it's like a compliment to him, and he's like Burge. Burge is hot. Right. Is <laughs>
3: yeah. Hot.
0: <laughs> I love that. Oh. I think part of it is also because like he's grown up like with everyone like wanting him to be unremarkable in the sense of like they're like just just keep your head down and so like he never yeah, realizes he believes that he is even though he's not. Yeah, and whenever he gets like attention, ostensibly in like for being attractive, he's like, "What's going on? This is this is fucked up. I don't I don't like people like looking at me. <laughs> this is wrong." <laughs> yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um. Bringing it back to chapter three, this is
1: also the first mention we get of an elderling. Because I think the tapestry in Fitz's room is of one of the kings this and an
0: elderling. This reminds me, okay, wait. I keep remembering stuff that I, like, there's so much in chapter one. But there was, like, a part where, um, oh, like, Birch used, or, no, Fitz uses a metaphor, like, an, a ritual tapestry seen in a dim room. And I was like, I forget what it's a metaphor for, but I'm like, that makes so much sense textually for Fitz to use it as a metaphor because it's something that he has a lot of experience with given that, that that's literally his room.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And it, that tapestry makes such an impression on him. Like, mm-hmm. He talks about it in scary. later books,
0: like being- It turns into a running person. gag, basically. He's like terrified yeah. of it.
1: He's like a tiny little kid in this dark, huge room all by himself when he's so used to being surrounded by animals and by Burritch, like he's got his safety and then he's dumped into this scary, big, cold place. And there's this horrifying, huge tapestry of this like weird, monstrous person and a King. And mm-hmm. it's like, I can see why that would scare mm-hmm. his poor little body.
2: And then an old man like comes out of the wall in the middle of the night and it's just standing. And it's just like,
1: come the- on, are you coming? I'm- Don't so get totally dressed. Promised. Come on.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> there's uh i don't know what the name for it is but i always imagine elderlings looking like there's this thing that there's this creature that like is carved in lots of indian temples and it looks kind of like a lion with bulging eyes but like an anteater slash like the like almost like oh, elephant like trunk and I, and I like to imagine that Because, both because, like, it's terrifying. Uh, I'll try to find pictures and, like, send them or, like, also, like, put them up on screen while this is happening. Yeah. But but also, like, I feel like that's, like, the perfect representation of, like, someone who, like, like, an artist who gets, like, telephoned the idea of, like, what an animal looks like and just, like, draws (laughs) it. And I feel like that's what the elderling tapestry is.
3: Oh, it's gotta be for sure. Mm -hmm. Going back to Fitz following shade up the stairs just
1: because he told him. So I think that Fitz is so passive throughout Mm -hmm. his whole life. He just kind of lets life happen to him instead of really choosing. And then later on in the books, it's because he isn't allowed to choose because he's the King's man. But even in the beginning, he kind of just goes along following what other people tell him to and it's probably because he's a little kid at first but
3: then he's not allowed to choose later on Mm -hmm. yeah that's very true he just like
0: like, it's kind of fucked up that like his one like like yeah that choice is like it's not really a choice but it's the illusion thereof
3: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that's all i have for chapter three yeah he, he gets yeah, the
0: then, pin the pin which ends up being super important and is like one of his most yeah. important possessions of all time
1: yeah shade oh. claims him as well he acknowledges that he's of royal blood but also claims him as like his
0: man
4: mm-hmm. i don't know how else yeah, and we,
0: kinda, we, 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 we talked a lot about this chapter actually earlier with like shrewd yeah like making a tool I think yeah.
1: Instead of accepting him as a grandson,
0: mm-hmm. does anyone have any thoughts about like Regal's placement or role in this chapter? About how like the, I don't know. I just feel like it's there's I like I get the vague impression that there's something significant about like Regal's presence there that maybe like beyond just like the plot level that I feel I like we should talk.
2: about. This is like one source of the intense jealousy that Regal feels for Fitz, like. He's used to kind of being his father's little pet that just, like, follows him around at his heel. And then his father's, like, giving a fancy pin to this other kid that he just, like, pulled out from underneath a table with a bunch of puppies. So I think there's a little seed of, like, resentment that gets laid here just from the minimal attention that Shrewd is giving you kind of get the sense that Shrewd, like, doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to his kids, other than, like, yeah. giving them vague messages, like, don't undo what you can't do, whatever. So, like, just this little... Or, like mother- being
0: like, Verity, you must marry for the sake of the kingdom. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's like, yeah, cool.
0: He's, Ooh, he's very dad. much
2: like all business. And, yeah. like, this little bit of attention that he's giving to Fitz in this moment... regal there i think regal's very much like you you just got here like what who even are you you're hiding under a table and now you're getting a nice pen and i don't get that from my dad
1: i think also it shows how like regal doesn't have very much critical thinking because shrewd is like what will you make of fits and he's like he's a bastard like what no, you know whatever mm. like he's a kid right now and shrewd's like well the next time you pay attention he's not going to be a kid i didn't say what should you do with him right now what will you do with him when he's a threat to the family think ahead and regal's just like thinking about today and like this morning and also it shows how his priorities are because he's like rumpled and like his hair's a mess and he's Like, clearly just been woken up by Shrewd in the morning after having this, like, great night of celebration and feasting. And Shrewd is, like, awake and alert, and Regal's still recovering. He's probably hungover, or maybe still drunk.
3: Like, it,
0: it, I think, shows his personality in a small way. Mm -hmm. This is the first time we see, like, Shrewd being Shrewd firsthand. And it's like, uh oh. If only, like, he ex- he both exercises with some empathy, but also just exercised this kind of decisiveness throughout the rest of the series, because waffling on Regal and waffling on the Red Ships is what leads the kingdom to the brink of destruction. And it's yeah. just, like, this is one of, like, the moments where we actually see him as, like, in his prime, I guess.
3: Yeah, true to his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Was there anything else for this chapter? Not from me. Nope. Okay. So we're moving on to chapter four, apprenticeship. Um, One thing again. that struck me in this chapter, like, it was not, it's not particularly
2: related to this chapter, but it's something I thought of while I was reading, was just how little, like, questions Fitz asks. He doesn't seem to have that innate curiosity that a lot of kids have. Like a lot of kids that never knew their father when they're surrounded by like their father's best friend or first man or brother or whatever would be like. Tell me about my dad all the time. Yeah, like what? What does he look like? What does he act like? What would he think of me? Like,
0: and we see that from dutiful when he asks Fitz about Verity. Yeah, Yeah,
2: Dutiful wants to know about Verity all the time. And you just, like, really never see that from Fitz. A, just because he's never talking. Like, the first conversation he even has is with Molly in, like, Chapter 2. Everything else is just, like, no, or boy, or, like, a nod. So he just isn't talking, first of all. But then he just doesn't seem, like, super interested for a while. And then kind of gets the confidence from shade to like start asking and then he all of a sudden asks Birch a bunch of questions and I like I remember Birch being like, What's gotten into you? Like you're so curious today, but
4: mm-hmm.
2: it's just striking to me like how it's really it's just going with the flow and he's like so detached even as a kid because everyone up to this point that's like cared about him in any regard has been stripped away. Like his life has changed. Yeah so many times, like, he's not in the mountains anymore, he's not at Moon's Eye, he's not in the stables, he's, like, nothing is constant in his life, he's just, like, not getting attached to anybody, Mm -hmm. other than Molly, who stays
0: pretty constant. He, like, talks about that in Golden Fool, when he's, like, when he finally finds out about the letters between... Uh, patience or chivalry and verity, where like, and finds out that's where patience started calling him Tom. But like, he's like, Yeah, I just kind of went through all of my life just not asking questions, just assuming that if that people would tell me if something was going on. And as a result, mm-hmm. people just like, like it, it, people around me just assumed that I knew things because I didn't ask for them. And then it's just like, because of that mutual kind of
1: miscommunication, stubbornness
0: almost. Yeah, miscommunication. They These, like, important details slip through the cracks. And he only well, finds he, out about them years later.
2: I think he tries to educate himself in different ways, too. Because, like, I remember in a later book, there's something he mentions about, like, standing in front of my father's portrait and, like, wondering about him as a kid. And, like, I think... B is a little similar in this too. Like neither of them really want to communicate or speak unless they have to. As kids, but B has the ability to like sneak into her dad's study and read all his letters and like learn about him. I think if Fitz could have done that as a kid, he a hundred percent would have. Like oh, for
0: sure. It's so weird, yeah. Because like, and you and you also mentioned that like he talks to Burridge at some point about like his father and a little bit to Chade, but then he never really talks to patients, and it's like the people yeah, he choose is- like the people he chooses not to open up to is so frustrating sometimes because
1: well i also wonder yeah. if he chose not to ask patience about chivalry is like because it would cause her too much pain so yeah, he's trying to like save her the grief especially because he looks identical to chivalry and it's like you're the reason that my husband isn't the king right now you're also the reason that you might be a little bit kind of dead and like now you're asking me to tell you about him like i to relive all of that and to like hash out the pain like i can't
0: it's fair yes especially because he tries to hide like the rest of his life from her to protect her and, and
2: keep yeah. yeah yeah
0: so i, I can he, definitely like, see that he's been through an
2: he tiptoes around her a lot And I, I like... He
0: doesn't in the last book, and he's just like, hello, I'm alive! And causes Lady to faint and all that. She's so
2: mad at him, understandably. So...
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I feel so bad for her. Like, she fully thinks of Fitz as her son, and then she... Yeah, that's her baby. She loses her son. She, like, bandages up his body, and then she's just, like, alone for 20 years or whatever, and he comes out of the woodwork out of nowhere. It's like...
0: she was, like, the only one who was, like, consistently in his corner. Like, Shade would manipulate him. Uh, Verity also, Burge too. Or, like, Burge wouldn't manipulate him, but Burge would also, like, like, obviously had a rocky relationship. But Patience was unfailingly in his corner to to (laughs) the very end.
3: Mm.
0: Yep. Yeah.
3: Um... That was all I had for this chapter. Oh, I did have a couple of things. let me see, this is chapter four. So this
1: is when mm-hmm. Fitz really begins his apprenticeship with Cade and all that
3: stuff. Um And then is this when he is going to Mistress Hasty to
1: get clothes? This is the chapter where that happens in right? I think so, yeah. Because I took a quote that says I think it's the women talking kind of about Fitz while he's around. And it mm-hmm. says, a pity that Patience blamed Burridge as well as as well for Chivalry's lapse in morals and had declared she could no longer abide the sight of the man. So maybe that's the excuse that they used for why Burridge didn't follow Chivalry to Withywoods. What do you guys think the real reason is?
2: I think it has to be an excuse because I can't, like, Asians likes to blame a lot of things on Birch, but I don't think that she would put this particular thing, like, down to Birch. Yeah. But, like, they had to come up with a cover story because ultimately Chivalry, like, doesn't want to leave his son in anyone else's care because Birch is, like, the only person he completely trusts.
3: So, I feel like I think there's some type of let, like, some letter you see in a
2: later book from Chivalry to Burridge where he says, like, who else could I leave this task with
0: mm-hmm.
2: in terms of, like, raising his son? But, like, I'll if they just. From,
0: like, um, I could also see it being from, like, a misplaced sense of, like, you shouldn't have to join us in our exile or disgrace, yes. but and but having to stay behind, like, hurts Burge.
1: Is the worst, like, yeah. Civil- so I, my two theories were that chivalry didn't want Burge to have to, like, lose his life at the castle and lose his kind of station in life because chivalry abdicated. But I also thought possibly it could be Patience maybe still had feelings for Burritch. And that's why, like, she... It was, like, bad enough that her husband had a kid with someone else. Well, obviously, it was before they were married. It's not like he cheated. But that happened. And then also to see the man that she wanted to marry and be with before Chivalry chose her, being around her 24-7, I'm sure that wouldn't have been easy for her either.
2: Or it could have... There's a part where... Someone asks, might be fit someone asks Burch if he still loves Patience, and he says, like, I'm not a man that can change. If I loved her, I still love her. Yeah. So even if, like, Patience has moved on, Burch like, obviously hasn't, and still, he gets, like, so defensive of her when Jason mm-hmm. says that thing about, like, her being barren. Like, mm-hmm. he really still holds a candle for Patience, so would, like... As Hard as it is not to be around chivalry, I bet it'd be hard, easier being away from patience.
0: Yeah, I, I right? don't remember like what he says to Molly in like the third in like Assassin's Quest. Cause I remember there was like something like that, but it also I feel like he said something that's like, I loved patience, but then like that, br- that bridge is like that opportunity in my life is gone, or like not exactly those words, but like that, that's the sentiment. I might actually. Well, I think just,
1: he probably like I'm he gonna, doesn't I'm gonna, have like, any I'm hope gonna, for the
0: relationship.
1: I think he doesn't have any hope for the relationship to like begin again. Like they won't, yeah. obviously, be able to be together. But I think that he definitely still loves her, and I think he probably the reason that he wouldn't be able to because I think it would be on his end. Like, if she wanted to rekindle it, I think he wouldn't be able to. Because he's so loyal to chivalry, he would feel like, I can't be with chivalry's widow.
3: I did
2: kind of always wonder, not always, but I wondered that, like, when Patience came back to the keep, I think in, like, Royal Assassin. Or maybe it's in this book, I don't remember when, but, like, I wonder why they didn't really have... Chivalry, like standing between them anymore, and Fitz, di- Birch like wasn't with her because he was like, I have soldier duties and things to do. So Burge basically broke up with her, and mm-hmm. they don't really have those obstacles anymore. But they still don't like reunite. <laughs> and instead, I mean, just Bur-
0: like she, she really does hate him though, like in, to some degree, because she like finds Fitz in the garden. And he's like, and she f- Fitz is like drunk, and she's like. Birch probably put you onto it. He's a sot and a lecher and he puts those (laughs) habits to everyone. Like, I think that, like, in the absence of having him in person, all of the negative aspects of him probably, like, grew. I
2: think that's defense, too, like, a defense mechanism. Yeah, she's still hurt from what happened
1: when they first were together. I think also a reason they might not be together is because I think both of, like, Burritch's presence for Patience and Patience's presence for Burridge reminds them so strongly of chivalry that it would just be a painful relationship because they're both, like, sitting there reminiscing, like, oh, I miss chivalry. Like, remember when he used to do this? And that would be, like, kind of the extent of their relationship. Like, maybe they can't move past that. It, so isn't even it though he's not there in merge, person. Pick, please. Even though he's not there in person. Standing between them, chivalry still ends up like <laughs> cockwalking and getting in the way. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. I found a section in the third book. Um Molly asks, Do you love her still? Uh and then Birch says, I love my memories of her as she was then, as I was then, probably much as you still love Fitz. So So it's like then so in like, yes. the young love. Yeah, I think like sometime between uh like the between uh, Ass- assassins apprentice and that last book he like oh sorry i'm just trying to set my phone up okay he like his feelings or like he like comes to terms with his feelings for patience
3: yeah yeah that could be that or he just Wants some, and he's not going to tell Molly
2: that he still loves his ex. I mean, yeah, okay, okay. Right. I, I feel like
0: Bert is too honorable a person to do that, and like I'm, yeah, I'm someone who has honest. like a high bullshit
1: tolerance for, huh? I think he's also way too honest because he,
3: yeah,
1: told Fitz. I think in like the second chapter, he's like, "I lied to my king for the first time today,
3: ever, yeah, for
1: you, because of yeah. you." Yeah,
2: it's um very touching how many things Burritch is willing to, like how many uh, of his
1: morals and of his everything honor he's willing to break?
2: for Fitz. Yeah. Cause Fitz doesn't really think or understand or acknowledge that Burritch like really loves him because yeah. Burritch is really shitty at showing it, but like he does so many things that, Knowing Burrich and the way he is so like stalwart and so unwilling to do anything that he like will doesn't consider right.
0: Burrich is actually like so. I'm just realizing he's like he's so chivalrous. He's like in it just yeah. like, like in his proximity. Really he's kind yeah. of like taken on so many of those qualities. And like that's not like a piece that I like slipped in before as like oh waited. A- I didn't like put that together. It's like, oh yeah, you can describe Berger's personality that, but like it totally fits. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably just from being around chivalry for so long; it's gotta wear he, off.
2: He used to be so terrible, or like not terrible, but Both he be, used yeah. to not have any direction, and chivalry kind of like pulled him he out of that. Purpose. I think he really latched on, and he was like, "This is the type of man that I want to be," and he kind of took it to another level.
1: Yeah but above and beyond
2: he, like, he'll lie to shrewd only for fits. He'll communicate with night eyes only for fits. Like there's so many things that he would never do for anybody else, but
1: and he does them beyond. all for fits.
0: Right. He literally as soon as he hears like A whisper of Fitz being alive, motherfucker like hops. I don't. How does he get to Aslovjal? He like hops on a Um, boat and like like, he like he he, he fucking fast travel teleports to (sighs) Aslovjal.
2: Fitz and Swift, because Swift is there too. Yeah, but
0: oh yeah, I forgot about that. He knew that Swift had left, and he was like, "Yeah, okay, see ya. You're part of the wooded coterie. I can't like." They, I can't abide by that, but then he's like, "Fitz, I love you. I don't care about you using the wit. It kind of sucks, <laughs> but also like, you're my ba- you're my baby boy.
2: Yeah, you're my firstborn.
4: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Pretty much. Ugh, their relationship just is. It gets me. It's so yeah, like misunderstood, but and both ends. And they get they, so little time definitely. to like
0: resolve those misunderstandings because Birch yeah. like meets Fitz and immediately dies." Yeah, I know! It's awful. I'm gonna be real. I'll talk about this more when we get to that part. I feel like she just, Robin Hobb just killed off Birch that Fitz could get with Molly, and I hate it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that could have been it. Yeah. But I think that, like, Birch probably would have stepped aside, but Molly would have been like, no, like, it's my choice, and would have stayed
3: with him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't decided how I feel about it yet. I just know... We'll
1: talk more, more when we get there. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. So, so moving else for back to... Four yes, I have two things. Word. Um, I don't know which one's going to be the shorter one, so I'm just going to pick one, and then we'll go on to the second one after. Um, I think that Shade was just as lonely as fits when, yes. like, before their lessons began. Because you see how chatty Shade is. Like right off the bat, he's like talking Fitz's ear off. And I think it's because he didn't have anybody to talk to before that. Like he was by himself. He had Slink, but Slink's a frickin' ferret. Like he can't communicate with him. And well, he's, it's just so like, I old like your memory. chapter.
0: Shade, them like it and then completely went off script and just started rambling. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, there's a part where he mentions, he's like, it took Shrewd a while to ask me, or it took him a while to remember that I was here, and then it took him a while yes. to ask me, and then it took me a while to say yes, and it's like, probably the only person that remembers that he's alive is Shrewd, and then it Shrewd is, like, yeah. forgets that his brother is living in the walls and can't talk <laughs> to his So Unless he needs
1: there. shades ability i don't think that he remembers that he's there like it's easy to put him it's like out of sight out of mind unless i need you to go and do something
2: and then she gets the opportunity to talk to somebody and he's like i'm going to talk at you even though you're like eight
1: you're 10 (laughs) and let me just tell you all of the stuff that i'm doing (laughs) with my life like here's what's going on i just thought it was so cute like it seemed like Shade was so excited and, and like mm-hmm. you can feel it just the way that he's talking. And
3: I, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. So then my yeah, second like a first thing. Look. Oh, it's
0: go weird. ahead. I, I wasn't really going to say anything important. I just, I was going to say, as a <laughs> like first look at Shade, it's like super cool. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Especially because, like, you, start off thinking that he's going to be the scary guy because Fitz is like terrified of his face and then he's like so friendly and by the end of the chapter Fitz is like I don't even know how I could see this as being scary like this face is being scary at the beginning like right when I came in like how did I even think he was
0: scary
4: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) then all that trust kind of goes down the gutter next chapter but yeah yeah i feel so bad for fitz but i I like dread reading that part
3: that part's really
0: hard to read
1: before we move on one quick thing um so burich mentions like how fitz's tongue is like moving so freely now at the end of this chapter and fitz's tongue being freed metaphorically and then him becoming chattier now mirrors what happens to be at the beginning of that trilogy where she literally frees her tongue because it's like she's got like a deformity or something where her tongue is like stuck to her mouth and then she becomes so much more like conversational and chatty and I just thought it was so funny how like both of them go through kind of similar experiences in childhood
2: I saw that in your notes, and I like got so excited because I didn't notice that when I was reading. But like, I remember the first time I read the two books in that trilogy, I didn't see very many similarities between B and Fitz. Like, I was like, "This kid really is not like either of her parents."
3: Like, it's so weird. But yeah. then upon rereading this, I'm like, "She's <laughs> Sh- 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 so like." like Sh- Sh- mm. A little like mute pod,
2: like they just run around talking to animals and doing whatever they want, and like,
1: being yeah, being dirty. left to their own devices,
3: yeah, yep, definitely.
0: Man, I really basically all the connections you're finding with uh, like the Fits in the trilogy, it really makes me want to go back and read it because. I I read the the first two books once and I haven't like revisited them since. Like I have Tawny Man and uh Farseer. So all of these details are fuzzy. Like I didn't even remember that B had uh like a deformity with with her tongue. So like I I'm I'm right. like straight after this episode I'm like opening that up and like
2: she it, like that's that's another like one of the other mean kids to like she lets them bully her. Smack her.
0: Like until they like smack, smack
2: her in the her? face. And And it's
1: clean. It, like,
2: clears out
1: the blockage.
2: Yeah. Like, rips her tongue away from whatever was stuck in her mouth. And then she just... I think it's just, like, a loose piece of skin or something.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: Wild. Okay.
4: So this is actually my first The only thing I remember from the
0: first book... Oh, sorry. Yeah, The only thing I remember from the first book is, like, B exists... Fitz stabs the fool, and I freak the fuck out. And I'm like, why? <laughs> what? Because I don't remember, like, I, and it, like, that happens, like, near the end, too. And there's, there's, like, the whole thing where he, like, he tries to, like, use the skill pillars to travel, and, like, but, yeah, I yeah. just remember, like, I remember nothing of the middle of the rest of the book. I'm just like,
3: he stabbed the fool! And that's it. Mm-hmm.
1: This is actually my first reread of all of the books. Like, I've tried to reread Assassin's Apprentice, and I just never got super far into it. I think I started in June rereading it again because I'm like, i am going to do this. And I got to like chapter 11. And then I was like, I've got so many other things to read. Like, I'll get back to this eventually. But then I never did. So I love that we're doing this because it'll get me to reread all of them. And I think the live ship traders is my favorite trilogy. And I'm so excited to get to that. Like I'm ready
3: i'm excited
0: to that. for so long because like again i only read it this summer i'm like I, it's probably good but like it's so good i didn't think i'd like it because i like most of my love for like robin hobbs books is from these characters of fitz and the fool yeah but the yeah the characters that in live ship are just as good if not better i was blown away
1: yeah i think they're all fully fleshed out because they you're you get it from so many different perspectives it's not just like being stuck in Fitz's narrative, that you like know more characters more intimately, when you just kind of
3: are Fitz for the rest of the trilogies. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't get as
2: uh, colored a story like the Fitz books are so colored by his perspective. Yeah, that like live ship is a little bit more. It's, like, well-rounded, yeah. almost.
3: Yeah.
0: Yep. Okay, so thanks, everyone, for watching. This episode has all gone to almost an hour and 45 minutes right now, so we're gonna move uh, Chapter 5, Chivalry's Shadow, to the next episode, though these will usually be five-chapter chunks. We just had a lot to say about the first chapter, obviously, <laughs> there's so much going on at the start of this book. It's the beginning! Um, yee. But yeah, uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. Um, uh, in the description, we'll be putting links to all the other places you can find this, our YouTube channel, which unless you're watch- already watching this there, you can find uh, the podcast, but also with our faces. Um, and until next time, uh, thanks for watching, y'all. Did you guys have anything to say before?
2: Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Bye. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Join us on this crazy journey. We hope yeah. you enjoy. <laughs> And please have already read all of the books because
2: clearly we spoil everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just jumping all I, over the place.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't be able, like, if I tried to not spoil, I would have to just say nothing. Cause saying
0: or just like I would, yeah, have I would just say nothing interesting. Yeah.
2: I can't do Which it. Like this
0: chapter happened,
2: or yeah, I'd also be like, I have nothing to say about that.
0: Wink, wink, wink,
3: wink. wink. <laughs> <laughs> see y'all bye, bye.